The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. I have Simon Clancy with me. Chris Kaufman is not available today. Well, Simon, we were supposed to record this yesterday, and we ended up not recording it because a certain quarterback from Alabama scheduled another press conference and you quickly learned that it wasn't to announce that he's coming out or he's staying at Alabama. Did you see any of that press conference today? Yeah. I mean, kind of as expected, really, it was to talk to the local media. That's what I was told. Um, Definitely not for him to announce any plans as it related to his future or Alabama future or NFL future, just a a chance to talk to the local media, um, which he hadn't been able to do since the, uh, since the surgery. Yeah, I saw I saw all of it. And uh, first of all, he came out in pajamas, wearing slippers. <laughs> and then he emulated uh, Nick Saban in his press conference, started talking about all the injuries that Alabama currently has. And then he proceeded not to say very much. And the only thing that he did say, which caught my ear, I would say, is if he were to go, and it was a good question that was asked of him, if he were to go between 10 and 15th overall, that it'd be pretty hard to turn down. Mm. Now, uh, I told you yesterday in the WhatsApp chat that uh, a fisherman always sees another fisherman from afar. He's fishing, isn't he? Uh, he wants somebody to give him an assurance that he's going top 10, top 15. Yeah, although I don't think he needs to go to do that through the media. He, he was always going to get that information anyway. And, you know, Nick... Saban and uh, and Sark, Steve Sarkeesian would would obviously, um, you know, be speaking to people within the league to 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 sound that out and find out exactly you know where because that's what happens you know all the time with coaches and you know he would have spoken and he will be speaking to the um to the NFL's committee on uh, the advisory committee for underclassmen and they will be letting him know what what the general consensus is and look who nobody knows he said. You know, not a single person on the planet knows exactly what's going to happen. Nobody really knows how that hip is going to heal, whether or not there'll be a setback, whether or not, you know, nobody knows at this stage. So it is very much up in the air, which is why he's clearly very strongly considering returning to Alabama. Now, let me play devil's advocate. Uh, He returns to Alabama. He will be returning without three wide receivers and a running back that are currently the starters there. How does he top the season he just had this year? How does he, 
basically, how does he improve upon the draft position that he's likely to have this year? Let's say he goes top 15, which I'm pretty certain he will. But we don't know that, though. We don't know that. Well, I, all of this is uh, assuming that he gets a clean bill of health, that, you know, before the combine, some doctor somewhere, and there are some reports that say that he should be ready for opening day, but that's all speculation from doctors that haven't examined him. But let's say all systems are go. I'm pretty certain he goes top 15. How does he improve upon that with lesser talent next year? Well, that, that again, is the assumption that, that Harris and Ruggs and Judy and Devonta Smith are all definitely coming out. But let's not forget Jalen Waddle is still going to be there. And then mm -hmm. he has four of the best, you know, four, four of the receivers coming through were all number one ranked receivers in their in their state. So it's not like he's, you know, it's not like he's going to be shy of shy of talent at all. You know, you go through some of the names that, that are going to be coming through. You look what they've done in high school and how they were, you know, how they were ranked. John Metchie, number one, number one ranked receiver in, in, in Maryland. Xavier Williams, number one ranked receiver in Florida. Obviously, as I said, you've got, uh, you've got Jalen Model coming, coming back. Shadarius Townsend, number one ranked receiver in Alabama. Tyrell Shavers, number one ranked receiver in Texas. So, you know, these are kids. And, you know, these kids have played a little bit as well. These are not just true freshmen. These are guys who have either in redshirted or have played a little bit uh, both this season and last. So, uh, you know, and I don't think, you know, Brian Robinson at running back, you know, I don't think that he's going to be short of, uh, of talent to throw to. And also it's not about, you know, it's not like, yes, the talent elevates his game, but yes, he elevates the talent around him as yeah. well. Um, you know, so it's not like he's just going to be throwing to, to absolute mugs. He's going to be throwing people open because that's what he does because he has the, the ability. The question for Tua, and, and look, you have that we have this discussion about Jordan Love, about Jake Fromm, about whoever. We might not think that Jake Fromm is going to go, you know, I, I personally... I'm not sure if Jake Fromm would go in the first round if everybody came out just because of the, you know, I don't think he's had a, a, an amazing season. I tend to agree. But Jake Fromm, knowing the Jake Fromm that, you know, you see, that you see on the, on the QB1 TV show, Jake Fromm is absolutely 100% going to believe that he is the best quarterback either in this class or if he stays at Georgia in next year's class. And he's going to play to the level that he hopes will elevate him above Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Brock Purdy and Tour if he stays and Jordan Love if he stays and, and whoever else. Because yeah, that's, that, what, that's, that's what, what competitors do. Yeah, that's what I tell people all the time, that uh, most of these guys aren't listening to our podcast and saying, whoa, you know, Simon doesn't think that I'm as good a quarterback as this guy. Trust me when I tell you, most of these guys, and if they don't, then there's something wrong with them. Most of these guys think that they're the best quarterback in the country. Mm. I mean, Justin Herbert did a, there was a long form piece that Kaylin Kayla, the excellent Kaylin Kayla, did at the MMQB yesterday on Justin Herbert, where she spent time with the Herbert family. Justin Herbert does not have any social media at all. He does not look at social media, he does not read newspapers. Um, his flatmate, his, his roommate, uh, he is instructed not to give him any information from social media about whether or not he's playing well, whether or not. So he has no idea what idiots like us think, what the internet <laughs> yes. thinks, what the newspapers think about how he's performed. Justin Herbert only knows what Justin Herbert knows. He totally rejects and shuts out any of that outside noise. And it, frankly, he doesn't care. You know, it's like the, you know, and I use the analogy, you know, and I apologize for people that don't understand soccer, but, my football team Liverpool played last night they have an amazing team 
Um, they are unbeaten in the league and they are nine points ahead in the league at the moment. They played last night and left their th- th- essentially two of their four best players on the bench, on the substitutes bench last night and replaced them with good players, but not the superstars that these two are. Lots of people on the internet were complaining that the manager who has absolutely transformed this team on the European Cup is going to win the Premier League this season. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't... They were 4-1 up after... <laughs> 25 minutes the guy who's doing the job knows better than the guy on the internet who watches a few games do you know what i mean and that analogy works for for whatever sport but it certainly works for for football for for american football people on the internet do not know you know it's like (laughs) there was a very interesting uh, and i can't remember which offensive coach it was but there was an offensive coach this week talking about how he grades his offensive players. And it was very much a shot across the bows at things like pro football focus in terms of understanding how players are graded and the responsibility. There was a very interesting press conference last year. Do you remember when, when Adam Gaze, when I think it was about the fifth week of the season and Armando Salguero and Adam Gaze had that argument about yes. grading Ryan Tannehill. And, and Adam Gaze says, I just can't take you seriously because you just don't know what you're, you just don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you know, you, you you know, he played really well the first three games of the season. And then and then Armando says something about, oh, I, I, I do it all on, you know, I care about wins. And Gay says, well, that's what you would care about wins. But that's not how we, you know, that's not how we... Coaches, yes, obviously they look at wins and losses. But expectation levels, what, what how they think players are going to perform. That is, the way that players are graded internally by NFL and college teams is so different to how fans look at... You know, I had an argument on the... um. I had an argument on the three yards per carry um, Twitter account the other day with somebody that said that I, because I had said that Stefan Gilmore of the Patriots, who's patently the best cornerback in the NFL this season Absolutely. and was last season, is the best cornerback in the NFL. Yes. And then this guy was like, oh, he's 33rd in the NFL in, uh, in uh, pro football focus rates. He's having yeah. a really bad year. It's like, dude, he's not. <laughs> yeah, that, okay? takes right he's best- question. that takes me right to a question that I asked Matt Burke last year. And yeah, we do have our differences with Matt Burke, and I wasn't a big fan. But I asked him a pro football focus-centric question, and he looked at me and he goes, do you think that there's 38 safeties better than Rashad Jones? And I said, no. Trust me, there are not 32 cornerbacks better than Stephon Gilmore. <laughs> no, no, there's not three plus two cornerbacks better than Stephon. You know, there's <laughs> no. lots of good. There's lots of good cornerbacks in the NFL. Tre'Davious White, sensational season. Darius Slay, another really good season. You know, the Byron Humphrey. Jones, Humphrey, uh, Marlon Humphrey, exactly. Mm-hmm. Humphrey's having a great year, but not that they are all in the shadow of St- the, the kid at the kid at Washington, who's who's the receiver uh, Dunbar, who was the the receiver. He's having an excellent year, but. But Gilmore is the the absolute gold standard. But these guys, he's not he's not even the best cornerback on the Patriots. No, dude, he is the best cornerback in the NFL, not just on the Patriots. And I just find that sort of stuff embarrassing. I find you know, and it goes back to what that coach was saying about how players are graded vis-a-vis how websites and organisations like Pro Football Focus grade players. You know, you can't yeah. sit and know the responsibilities of each player on every single down. You, you yeah. fundamentally cannot cannot know that uh, and you know you go into nfl locker rooms and you talk about pro football focus ratings and things like that and players will laugh in your face uh, because you know they'll say you'll, you'll say something about oh pro, pro football focus last week graded you at so and so and so and so they said that on that <laughs> touchdown and they'll be like dude you have no idea what my responsibilities were on that touchdown no yeah. 
Because like you last do. year, like last year when Pro Football Focus uh, uh, attributed five touchdowns to Xavier Howard, and Xavier Howard took issue with it, and then they re-examined it and only attributed two out of the five yeah no absolutely I, I agree with you 100 percent. and yeah uh a couple of weeks ago i was sitting there watching with a cowboys fan and he kept mumbling under his breath what there has to be something wrong with amari cooper and i kept looking at him and i what's wrong with him is who's lined up across from him mm. <laughs> that's who's that's what's wrong with him uh, going back to thing, your no go on sorry oh yeah one last thing on on tua and then we can move on from mm. from the illustrious alabama quarterback his brother, uh, the common, the common uh, I guess, argument out there is, why would he come back and hurt his brother's sophomore season, which could be a year that he can actually take the reins at Alabama? But don't forget, Mac Jones is, is next man up. Yeah. So, you know, Although I his Mac brother, Jones... Uh, uh, I showed you uh, everybody who recruited, like, I don't know, how, you know. Was this the most highly recruited quarterback in the nation that year? Because yeah, that was an impressive offer list for absolutely. But his brother. I, I, I think that you know, don't forget, Mac Jones is a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, um, has the height and the experience advantage. Absolutely. And look, let's not let's not pretend that he wasn't ridiculously um, highly recruited himself because yes, he, he was. You know, he was. And then you go back and look at you know they they just flipped the. Um, they just flipped the number one quarterback in the nation from USC to Alabama, uh, the high school quarterback. So, um, you know, I, I think I'd be surprised if, if, if Talia did anything other than, you know, wait his turn. I mean, that's kind of the Alabama way. And also, look, I think the Tungavala family know that they owe Alabama and Nick Saban a debt of gratitude, you know, not for what they've done for, for Tua as a, as a person necessarily or as a player, but just that you know, they've helped him, you know, his talent has obviously helped make him as good as he is, but they've also helped make him. They have, you know, Nick Saban, for whatever we think of Nick Saban, as a person, as a personality, is probably the greatest college football coach of all time. You only have to look at his record. And, you know, Tua has played in two national championships and potentially would have been on his way to a third had he not been injured and, you know, essentially lost the game of the year in a shootout when he was only 80% healthy. He also doesn't play defense. You know, Bama are not going to make the playoff this year, having two losses. Two losses with which they lost to an in-state rival who are a really good Auburn team and the number one slash number two team in the nation. And they lost by a total of eight points. You know, you can't, you know, sometimes you've just got to hold your hands up and say, on this occasion, we weren't quite good enough. But he's had a hell of a ride at Alabama. And I, I just don't feel the Tungavala family of the sort that would just say, see you later, Alabama, we're going to, go somewhere else because yeah. I, I, that just doesn't strike me as something that they they would do but I just you know I, I, I think it's fa I think it's fascinating and what I do think ultimately is that the injury was probably the best thing that could have happened to the Dolphins actually because I think what it has done now because there's going to be so much uncertainty between there, you know, almost certainly teams are not going to be able they might be able to see him throw before yeah. the draft but it's unlikely um but it feels very much now the situation that the Bengals will draft first and will take Joe Burrow. And with the second pick, the Giants will take Chase Young. And at that point, it's clear that Dwayne Haskins has now won two of the last three games for Washington. It feels like he's, you know... And looks better. And looks better. He's taking, yeah, he's taking small steps. He's taking small steps. And I think that's all you can, that's all you can ask. I'd be very surprised if they cashed in on, you know, on Dwayne Haskins, especially for a kid that's almost certainly not going to play or contribute 
much early on. And then the Dolphins sit at four. And the question then is, do you sit at four and take him and just screw it? Do you feel like you can move down a couple of picks? Because who are you threatened by? Denver? Well, could Denver, John Elway, would he fall in love with Justin Herbert, for example? Herbert obviously will come out because he's a senior. Who else then is looking for, for the Chargers at 10, as they are at the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, could the Chargers... Yeah, but, you know, the, the question for the Dolphins, I think, will be, if he is that guy, just take him. Just, just take him. If he's your guy, just take him. Ryan Fitzpatrick has shown more than enough moxie, more than enough balls this year. The, the team clearly loved playing for him. The guy's a gamer. He's an absolute dude. You love him on your team. If Tua was to sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for a year, rehab, learn, just as Pat Mahomes did behind Alex Smith, as the rest of that Dolphin team improves with the free agents that we're going to sign, with all those other draft pick players, you know, you're going to get four, five, six starters from free agents in the draft, building up. But Tua's already involved in that system. He's already soaking up the playbook. He's already around the players. His leadership is coming to the fore. He's getting tutored by Ryan Fitzpatrick, who probably is going to go on and be an NFL offensive coordinator or head coach at some point in the future. You know, he He's getting that. He's soaking all that up. Not with no pressure to play whatsoever because you know, no pressure from the fans, regardless of what happens with the Dolphins. Flores is, is safe. And then boom, 2021 season comes along. He's 100%. He's back. Away you go. Just like Pat Mahomes did with, with Andy Reid. Uh, uh, to me, if that's really, if he's really who the Dolphins want, and we've every indication that we've had is that he is, then just pull the trigger. Don't fuck about. You've got this chance mm-hmm. to, to get somebody special. Look, uh, and you know, we all love Trevor Lawrence. You know, I, lo- I think the kid is going to be a, a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. But you cannot risk, if, the, if two of who I also think has a chance to be incredibly special, if he falls into your lap, just, just do it. Don't let him go somewhere else and be a hero somewhere else. Just, just don't. And I know there's people going to be listening to this going, oh, they're banging on about this again. And, you know, we've been doing this a long time, you know, and I'm not trying to blow our own horn. So you do this a long time. These kind of kids don't come along that often. They no, don't. Sometimes when you know, you know. You, know you just I mean? do. And people say, oh, he's hurt all the time. Or he's Frank Gore tore two ACLs and have a separated shoulder in um, at the University of Miami. He's missed one game since 2010. Willis McGahee's career was proclaimed dead on the field. Yeah, at the I watched that game. I watched that game live. I, yeah. I thought he'll, he'll never play another snap. He ran again. for eleven thousand yards in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> so. so look, it's um, just just do it. Just take him. If that if that's really just have the courage of your convictions to change the course of this franchise forever and a day. And listen, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that he never plays again because that he gets AVN or something happens to the hip. If, that's the, if that is what happens, and you will know that by the time 2021 rolls around, you've still got two first-round picks and two second-round picks, and you're going to have a draft that has Trevor Lawrence, mm-hmm. Justin Fields, Brock Purdy, Adrian Martinez, um, Jordan Love, Jake Fromm, yeah. Jake, uh, the Eason kid at Washington. I mean... Jamie Newman potentially there are 10 I mean that's eight nine ten quarterbacks potentially that could be you know you're going to get a shot at a franchise signal caller if the worst that could happen happens I don't think it will because I think what will happen is that he'll turn around and have a stellar career because he just he just has all the tools as long as he's not a soft tissue kid as long as you know 
the injuries don't plague him. And they might, you just don't know. But the people were saying the same thing about Frank Gore, and that's why he fell to the third round. And look at him, he just passed Barry Sanders. You know, the, you know Barry Sanders, Gail Sayers, Jim Brown, Walter Payton. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And, and, and he's passed, you know, he's passed Barry Sanders. So we'll see. Yeah, now speaking of another quarterback, the rumors have been out there that Jordan Love is likely to return. At least those are just rumors from from a lot of people, probably just like us talking into microphones. And, you know, we've heard all the, you know, it's all the usual suspects, Oklahoma, LSU. But more specifically, Tony Pauline of PFN had reported that Texas Tech would be a team that would be very much interested. Nobody ever asked Jordan Love, but somebody finally did this week. And he called it a bunch of nonsense and crazy talk, quote unquote, crazy talk that he would transfer. He almost seemed offended by it. Is there anything to read into that? Like, is he essentially tipping his hand that he's thinking about coming out? Um, I don't know. It's difficult for Love, isn't it? Because he's really had that slump this season and we kind of know why. Um, yeah, but and part of it is his own of his own making. Let's not be let's not beat around the bush. Yes, mm-hmm. he's had significant issues foisted upon him. You know, complete change of scenery in terms of coaching, in terms of the offensive line, in terms of skill position players. For me, I think if he wants to solidify himself as a first round pick, he'll stay in school, but he will be a grad transfer. And I think that you know, if he goes to Texas Tech, for example, you know, you've got David Yost there, who was the who essentially groomed Love personally at Utah State in 2018, leading him to being the kid that 18 months ago we were talking about, saying there's this kid at Utah State who looks absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he's going to be an NFL quarterback. He's got this ridiculous skill set. He's big. He can just make... And look, at the thing that Love can do that, that nobody else in this draft class can do, and I, I include two in that, is that he can make the most ridiculous throws off any platform with great arm strength Absolutely. he he can make those kind of wow i mean look two makes all the guys make have made wow throws but he is capable of the wowest of wow throws um you know so it, it would not surprise me if he ended up somewhere and texas tech certainly has got to be an option it's got to be an option because of the connections with yoast um I suspect, look, Oklahoma has got to be one of the places that, you know, if you're a grad transfer quarterback who has designs on the first round of the NFL, Jalen Hurts is graduating. You've got Spencer Rattler as the freshman about to become a sophomore. But, you know, I think having love coming for a year, if you're Spencer Rattler, knowing that you can still play your junior senior seasons and then go to the NFL, I mean, that's got to be a pretty strong thing for Jordan Love. Yeah, and Ed Orgeron. He, he, you know what's better? You know what's better than one yeah. national championship? Two. Yeah, back to back. exactly. He's got <laughs> to he's got to look at he's got to look at and assess his game completely and be utterly honest with himself. And I know look, we've said earlier in this podcast that you know quarterbacks all think that they're the best of the best and why wouldn't they? But there's still there is still you've still got to think, look, I'm not having the best year that yeah. that I'm having. I haven't really put myself out as well as I could have done. Um, and I just think he would benefit from that extra year of staying in college. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I, I wonder myself, uh, I just, it struck me how he, he kind of seemed offended that he was asked a transfer question. Maybe he was offended because, you know, he's still in the season. He still has a game left. 
So maybe it offended him that those questions will come about now. But I don't know. It just it struck me like he's he was tipping his hand. But if he is tipping his hand, this quarterback class is getting weaker by the, by the day. Yeah. They're dropping like flies. I mean, I tweeted the other day that I think, you know, the Dolphins are, uh, will clearly will be looking at a situation in which neither Tua, Jordan Love, or J- Jake Fromm enter the draft. You know, from I mean, I was told, I was told today by our contact that that the Georgia coaches who are out recruiting, um, and the you know the, the the scouts are out recruiting are actively telling recruits that Jake Fromm will be back for a senior season. Wow, yeah, that's news on the three yards per carry. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that that's that's single sourced. So that's not. I don't have that double source. That's single sourced. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that is you know comes from somebody who told me that Tua's press conference was not going to be a, a declaration. It was going to be a talking to the local media, um, and it's a source I trust. So we shall see. We shall see. If you're Jake Fromm, look, you know, not a great senior season. Well, not a great junior season, I mean. Georgia are probably going to get blasted in the um, SEC Championship game against LSU on at the weekend. Um, if you've got the opportunity to come back, and because he's not won a national championship, mm-hmm. you know, surely you'd want to do something a little bit special. He's got the opportunity to do it. He's got the opportunity to come back. Georgia recruits well. They're always going to be strong. Kirby Smart's a good coach. You know, there has to be a part of him that thinks I have unfinished business in Athens. Why would he go to the NFL? And I've, st- you know, I could still. Uh, and you watch that documentary that he was in, the QB one documentary, and he's a kid that really cares about these sorts of things. The minutiae of, you know, college football is important to, to Jake Fromm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a situation where all of a sudden the, the draft where we thought was going to be a QB bonanza because of circumstance, all of a sudden you're potentially just looking at Joe Burrow. Justin Herbert mm-hmm. and the rest of the field, which could involve, you know, Jalen Hurts. It could involve um, Jacob Eason. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the Huntley kid. Well, at, I like, by the way, who's, who's growing on me the more that I watch. Jacob Eason. Yeah, he's got a lot of talent. Yeah, he, he's, he's got a lot of talent. He's, he's noticeable. You know, yeah, but he could also stay. He could also stay. Of course. He could start, you know, doing a head count. I think the guys are waiting for dominoes to fall. If a bunch declare, Jacob Eason might do the numbers in his head and said, okay, if all these guys come out, I'm likely the 30th pick or the 32nd pick or a high second-round pick. Mm. If they all come out next year, I could be the third quarterback chosen if I have a decent season. So mm. a lot of calculations are going to be made you know, it's, from now until January 20th. It's definitely arrow up for Jacob Eason. Yes. You know. So, and, it's, and if, you like, if people like the aesthetics, this guy can throw it through a brick wall. Mm. Yeah. So the so the, the situation then remains for the Dolphins. Do they roll with who they do they roll with with Fitzpatrick and Rosen and ignore the quarterback position? And then you're looking at okay, yeah, we have th- three first round draft picks, and we can build the team in the image that Brian Flores wants. And you know, we know what Flores wants. We know what he likes. We know what his scheme is. So we, you can identify scheme players from that first round, and they're all there. They're all there, absolutely perfect scheme fits for what he wants to do. You know, I can, you can, you know, there's four or five absolutely perfect scheme fit players. Jeffrey Akuda, Ohio State, and, and the value that 
that Flores and the value that the Patriots always place on secondary players is more important than any other position on that defense. So Akuda has to be, you know, an absolute front and center. You know, Derek Brown to me the best player in the draft. Derek Brown of, of Auburn, the defensive tackle. Isaiah Simmons. You know, Isaiah Simmons is a you know. There's a more athletic, bigger, faster Patrick Chung. Mm-hmm. Corny Fallon, who used to work at the Dolphins beat and now now works the New England beat um, for for the NFL Network. Courtney told me that Patrick Chung is viewed by the New England Patriots as the single most important player on that defense. Yeah. Brian Flores does not have his Patrick Chung, but he clearly has two players at the safety position in Eric uh, in Eric Rowe and, and Bobby McCain that they feel like they can move forwards with. Now, what they look for and what they will be looking for, because that's what ha- the system that New England run, is that third safety, is that kind of box safety who can pretty much do everything. Simmons obviously is a linebacker at Clemson, but has the ability, the quick twitch, to play that Patrick Chung role. He's just a bigger Patrick Chung. So, so you know, they're straight off the bat a, a three play. Yita Gross-Matos, the defensive end at Penn State. Again, another scheme fit. Why? And why not? People always say, what about Chase Young? What about Chase Young? Fine. Chase Young is a fine player. I am of the belief that the New England Patriots and that style of defense that we run, they never want to rely on a single player to be able to dominate off the snap. And you look at the one player that they've really had since in maybe the last 10, 12 years of that ilk was Chandler Jones. Charlie Jones was traded to the Arizona Cardinals, what, for two second-round picks, if I remember rightly, or mm-hmm. first yeah. and a second. Charlie Jones is quietly having one of the most under-the-radar under the radar Hall of Very Good slash Hall of Fame careers that you're ever going to come across. Oh, I think, he's he's, the only, I think he's headed to a Hall of Fame. He has a shot at 150 sacks. Uh, yeah, he's lot. the only, only player in, in the NFL in the last five years that's had 10-plus sacks in all of the last five yes. seasons. Yes. And he's having another great year for the Cardinals this year. And the Patriots got rid of him. Why did they get rid of him? Because he runs, a, a, and this is the thing that, that and I, I, this is not a criticism at all, but this is the thing that everyday fans don't quite understand. You know, you look at Trey Flowers, for example. Trey Flowers had what, six and a half sacks or whatever the Patriots got on 16, 17, 18 million a year deal. And people are like, he's not worth it. He only had six sacks. That, that, that says maybe. Trey Flowers, the reason the Miami Dolphins wanted Trey Flowers so badly, the reason the Lions wanted him so badly and got him is that he does something specific within the scheme the Patriots defensive scheme is not about sacks per se of course it is about sacks but what it's mostly about is discipline it's about lane discipline the most important thing that the Patriots drill into their defensive players is do not rush past the quarterback do not allow quarterbacks to rush to be able to step up and move inside you because you run a very very wide arc that is not what they want. Adrian Claiborne was benched for the last three games of last season because a, a totally healthy scratch. And Claiborne, a good player, had six sacks in a game last season against the, against, the, uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. You do not want... He was benched because he was, was, was rushing way too far wide out of, out of position. His lane discipline was poor. So the Patriots were like, we can't have this. We cannot have what you are doing, which is why Trey Flowers was so important. He was able to rush out inside out, i.e. from an inside position to an outside position and play both those roles. But he was able to be as disciplined a player in a system as you will ever see in the NFL. So that's why I believe that Chase Young is not necessarily an ideal fit for the Dolphins. Also, the Patriots have eight defensive players with three and a half or more sacks already this season. And that's a key reason why they're so good on defense. 
Why? Mm -hmm. Because you do not know who's coming from where. It could yeah, be Adam they Butler. They create pressure it, in the uh, aggregate, and that's how you win in the NFL. Absolutely, mate. You it, don't you win in the NFL by paying one guy as as you know no. as much as we would love to have Khalil Mack on the Dolphins. Mm. You don't win in the NFL, at least the evidence is, that you don't it's, win in the NFL by paying one guy $30 million a year. It, it's Carl Van Noy. It's Van Noy. It's Adam mm. Butler. Then it's Lawrence Guy. Then it's Winovich. Then it's, you know, whoever it is. That's why they are – because offenses have to – if you scheme for Chase Young, you're scheming for a, a, a single player. But are you scheming for – are we scheming for Winovich? Are we scheming for Van – are we scheming for Jamie Collins? Are we scheming for, for Lawrence Guy? Are we scheming for Butler? Who are we scheming for? Shit, we've got a scheme for all these guys. <laughs> so you double-team Butler on the inside, he's got six and a half sacks, and Carl Noy eats you up. You scheme, you, you scheme for Van Noy, and here's the rookie Winovich, who's got five and a half sacks. Oh, here's, you know, let's take Winovich out of the game. Here's Jamie Collins, you know, playing like a defensive player of the year. It, you know, these are, these are, this is why scheme is so important. And people talk about, oh, just a player's a good player. It doesn't, he's not. Remember when we drafted Jamar Fletcher? Jamar Fletcher just won the Thorpe Award at Wisconsin. Great mm. defensive back. Dave Wonsu brought him to a, Jamar Fletcher was a pure zone cornerback. And he was brought into a man coverage scheme to essentially replace Pat Satan and, and, and Sam Madison or to, to, he, well, he absolutely, he once that said, we need a nickel cornerback and he yeah. fill that need immediately. But yeah, exactly. Dave, he's a zone corner. You know, he's just one of Thorpe by playing zone. Yes. It's like trying to it's trying to it's like trying to make Josh Norman turn Josh Norman into a into a Patriots cornerback. You're not gonna do that. Josh no. Norman's a zone corner, you're not gonna play man with him. He's one of the best zone corners of the past ten years, but he's never gonna you know, you do not want to single him up man to man throughout a season because that's just not his strength. Why would you do that? So scheme is really, really important. So for me, that is, you know, and look, I might be proved completely wrong. The Dolphins might take Chase Young, but I, I genuinely believe that Brian Flores does not want to put so much emphasis on one player. And it's the same reason that he said about Larry Tunsil. The reason that Larry was, was they, they traded, they felt comfortable enough trading Larry was that as great as he was, it felt like one player on the offensive line and then four players, and then three other, four other players. He wants five cognizant pieces all working together, not one guy on an island and then four guys struggling, you know, inside. It's fascinating. But, you know, these are the things that coaches and staffs absolutely think about when they move forward and look at how they bring players in. How will this person fit in the scheme that I want to run? And if they don't fit, then there's no point in bringing them in. And that's why Trey Flowers was such an important, important part. All right, Simon, two things on the way out here. On the last podcast, um, Chris and I came to an agreement on where this, all this winning is going is to <laughs> make the Miami Dolphins, you know, where they're going to end up as far as draft order. We decided that they're going to end up seventh, which is a mm. far cry from where we thought they were going to end up. And we basically agree that, of course, Cincinnati, the Giants, and Washington are going to be ahead of us. But also Atlanta, Detroit, and Arizona might catch mm. us, which will drop us to seventh. Do you agree, or do you think that they might even finish worse than that? So we've got which four is games weird, left. Uh, better, better or worse? You know what I mean? For our so purposes, four, worse. Four games, haven't we? Jets, Giants, Bengals, Patriots, right? Yes. And we are what three and three, three and nine. Three and nine. I, I think there's a significant chance that we could finish six and ten. Jesus Christ. I know, right? 
Yes. I mean, you, you don't know well, what you're going to get. That puts Jacksonville, the Jets, and the Chargers in play, which means that they could drop to 11. <laughs> I, d- I don't know what you're going to get with the Jets. Yeah, you, you flipped to uh, two weeks ago when they spanked Oakland, and then you turn around and they lose to the Bengals. Although the Bengals, I think, are better than their record. I do yeah. think they're a better team than their record. Then you've got the Giants. Daniel Jones is out, so Eli's back. Eli plays on Monday night. So, you know, Saquon's had a really disappointing year. I, I, I'd be surprised if the Giants beat us, I have to say. Um, they were competitive for a half against the Packers at the weekend, but sort of fell away. And the Bengals, look, the Beng- you know, Zach Taylor revenge game against the Dolphins. Andy Dalton's playing for his for his career. They've got some decent players. I've always said it. They've got some decent players. The Bengals. I think that that could be a pick'em game, but I could easily see us winning that game. I don't see us beating the Patriots in in New England, regardless of whether or not the Patriots are playing for home field advantage or not. And it kind of feels like they're going to have to play their starters anyway, because unless yeah. the Ravens really fall away in the last four weeks, then um, you know, look, the the Patriots play the Chiefs on Monday night, um, you know, the Patriots all of a sudden could be two games off of home field advantage. They could be, you know, they could be playing on the open. If the Chiefs win, they, the Patriots all of a sudden look like they could be playing on the opening weekend of the, the playoffs rather yeah. than having a week off. So, you know, I, I, I definitely think there's a distinct possibility that the Dolphins could be six. To, I think they'll end up five and 11. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, that's what we, that's what we decided. It, five and 11. Remarkable and coaching job. That means the seventh pick is what, is what we figured yeah. out. With so, the possibility of being able to move up because you've got all that, you know, you've right, got all that capital. Yeah, yeah. And remember, you're not moving up now from 15 to 2 or 15 to no. 4. No, no. It's, you know, you have the seventh pick. That's, you know, yeah. it's not too far. I, 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 yeah, I think you probably have to give up. You'd probably have to give up something next year. You might have mm-hmm. to give up one of those ones next year to move up to, say, 4 or 3. It just depends how you, you know, the teams will, they'll do their research. They'll be talking to other teams. They'll be talking to media people. They'll be, you know, because that's what they do. They'll be, they'll be trying to dig around. It's, it, it, you know, who do you want? Is Derek Brown going to last to seven? Unlikely. Is Akuda? Unlikely. Simmons? More than likely. And then there's obviously the tour question, you know. Yeah. And then would Denver, would the Chargers want to get involved in a Justin Herbert trade? You know, you could, could you see one of them trading up to say Herbert? Yeah, and you really never know yeah. on Denver because uh, you just finish, like, if, if you watch a lot of NFL like I do, you just finish watching Drew Locke play very well this, this past Sunday. So maybe Drew Locke is in their plans. Maybe he finishes yeah. the season really strong, and they decide, you know what, we found our guy. And Drew Locke is that guy going forward. You know, he played really well on Sunday. So yeah. I wouldn't put it past he's, Denver he's to be get the out chance. of the quarterback business, you know? Absolutely. All right. On the way Absolutely. out, Andy Ruiz, <laughs> Anthony Joshua. This Saturday, it's very weird over here, Simon, because I have a DAZN subscription, a subscription, yeah. and the the card starts at noon. The main it event does. is at three thirty in the afternoon. Yeah, obviously because it's in Saudi. I'm not used so to that here in the United States. No. Here in the United States, we usually see main events around midnight. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, usually for us, it's five in the morning for for a fight like this, but. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating fight. It's what a fascinating happens? fight. What happens? I made my prediction uh, here, by the way on five reasonsports.com. You could watch my you could read my uh, my article on there on the fight. Uh, I predicted Joshua by unanimous decision. Yeah. You, I mean I I I mean I've seen Joshua in the flesh. Uh, I was in the training camp in uh, the so he trains at the GB training camp in Sheffield. 
um, with Rob McCracken and his coach. Uh, I saw him a few weeks ago. He has significantly slimmed down um, than what he was um, for the first fight. You know, when he came in, you know, like the kind of Adonis that he is, mm-hmm. um, he is in a different physical state um, to what he was. He has been concentrating. He's been in the gym the entire time. I think he's going to come in under 17 stone. He'll come in at maybe 16, 10, which is very, very light for him. You know, he's doing a lot more car. He's doing a lot more cardio, a lot more gym stuff. He has been working with Angel Fernandez. Um, and Fernandez has been with him. I mean, he was in Sheffield with when I was there. Uh, yeah. He, uh, there was a quote of his uh, where he said uh, that he, he got rid of some of his strength and conditioning regimen. Yeah, and went back if he wins, to more boxing, hitting the mitts, hitting the bag, hitting the speed. Yeah, footwork. If it will be, um, it will be Fernandez will be a very big reason for that. I don't think Joshua. I mean, I don't think Joshua. The, the the reason Joshua lost the first fight was not overconfidence was 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 nothing else you know I was there at the press conferences he was very respectful of Ruiz in New York he got caught on the side of the head by that punch Joshua goes Joshua goes chasing I mean he's a great finisher he goes chasing the knockout when he knocked Ruiz down much like he did with Klitschko when he knocked Klitschko down in the fifth round at Wembley Stadium he went chasing the knockout and then he got caught by Klitschko and there he is hanging on at the back end of that fifth round lolling against the ropes you think god you know a minute and a half ago he had clitch go down and you thought it was all over and now it looks like he's going to lose it was the same thing here he comes back out he catches Ruiz again with an you know credit Andy Ruiz's chin because he stays on his feet and he goes in for the kill and Ruiz catches him with one of those left hooks on the side of the head and he doesn't he he never recovers from that point he's uh, he's an absolute disaster for the rest of round three his he hasn't got his legs back under him under round in round four Five and six, he's starting to get back a little bit. And he gets caught again in seven. He's down twice. He just doesn't want it. And, you know, it's one of the greatest, the Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson moment of our generation. Um, I think that Joshua will win. Um, But Ruiz has got, Ruiz's fast hands are the one thing that Joshua is very mechanical as a fighter. You know, he doesn't have great feet. What he has is, you know, all-time power in those hands. He's a big fighter. He's He's a smart guy. But he has to have a plan B for that, for, for for those for that for that pace because he can't handle the, the fast pace of Ruiz's fists, um, you know. So uh, and look, go back to go back to the Jarrell Miller three failed drugs tests. Mm-hmm. Look at how much those three failed drugs test drugs tests changed the entire landscape of the heavyweight division. Absolutely, the Eddie Hearn has to sue. Landscape. Eddie Hearn should sue Big Baby Miller. Yeah, because of that. I mean, because he's lost millions over this. If Joshua loses on Saturday night, that is essentially career over. There's was, no coming back from that. Who wants to fight? Who would fight him? Because if you are, Deontay there's no Wilder, upside. There's no upside. Only downside exactly. to fighting Anthony Joshua. This after if you're this Tyson season. Fury or you're Deontay Wilder, and he doesn't have a belt, why would you bother fighting him? Why would you put the risk yeah. uh, of, you know, and look, Fury is an absolute artist as a boxer. You know, he might not have great power or you know, as good a power, but he is a, a ridiculously intelligent fighter. You know, he will outbox anybody. Wilder is a terrible boxer, but he has all time power. <laughs> yes. You know, he has, you know, he has Ernie Shavers type power in those fists. He has all time power. You know, well, look, uh, this, this past weekend, a podcast that I love listening to is the Teddy Atlas, the fight podcast. Ooh. And 
he proclaimed Deontay Wilder the hardest puncher in the history of boxing. Go back to that fight. He knocked out Luis Ortiz with a punch to the forehead. Yeah. (laughs) But he was, I mean, he was in big trouble in that fight against Ortiz. Yes. You know, he, he, much like he was in the first fight against Ortiz. Now, Ortiz almost had him in that first fight and he was in trouble again. You know, he was being outboxed by by Ortiz, but he's just got the fists of fury. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, he should have lost to Tyson Fury in that, in that, uh, the first battle that they had. I believe. Fury won that fight. Yes, but yeah. again, the the fists of you know the power to knock him down in the twelfth, you know. But uh, you know that was a I thought that was a big old hometown decision. <laughs> but yeah, I think if Ruiz can get can get inside, can use those hands, can use that left jab that he has, I think Anthony will be in big trouble. But I I, I do fancy AJ to to win this, and I think he'll I think he'll knock him out. Yeah, I think I think Anthony Joshua has no excuses this time around. No. First of all, you're not in England, so you don't have the pressure of eighty thousand of your countrymen behind you, hoping that you retain, you regain your belt. You're not in New York, so you don't have the pressure of an American yeah, audience. Audience, yeah. You know what I mean? So you're in Saudi Arabia. You're tucked away to to a corner of the world with fifteen thousand, I guess, rich people because I don't know who the hell's mm. buying a ticket to this thing in the middle of the desert. You know, but he. He has no excuses. He's had a good training camp. Now go win. Go win and get yourself back into the conversation with Fury and Wilder. Exactly. Well, that's it, guys. You got everything in this one, okay? You got young quarterbacks. You got Tuatonga Vailoa. We even talked about his brother. We even talked a little boxing. Next week, we'll get back to the Miami Dolphins after they face the New York Jets. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.